Hello, friends, and welcome to the Capital City Christian Church Podcast. My name is Chris, and I'm so glad that you're tuning in with us. If this is your first time listening or you'd just like to reach out, feel free to shoot an email to hello at capitalcitychristian.org, and I'd be glad to talk with you. This is the penultimate message in a series we're calling Colossians, a big Jesus for life's big problems. Colossians was a letter written to a church by a guy named Paul, and he addresses what life looks like for Christians following Jesus. This week, we're discussing work, the employee and boss relationship. How do you handle the workplace as a Christian? Talking today about work, kingdom style, is our executive minister, John Sutphin. Morning. I want to welcome you to Capital City. We're glad to have you with us today. If you're a guest with us, we extend a very special welcome to you. We're glad you've taken time to come and join us on this day of worship. A big Jesus for life's big problem. That's the series that we've been in the past uh, six to eight weeks as we have worked our way through this book written to the Christians in Colossae by a guy named Paul. Now, these past few weeks, we've been in chapter three of this book, and our focus has been on the relationships that many of us find ourselves in and how we should live them in a Christ-centered way. For those of you who've been with us, or maybe you've been watching on Facebook, or maybe you've downloaded the messages, uh, hopefully these discussions about husbands and wives and parents and children have been uh, a very timely discussion for you. And for some of you, well, maybe you've spent this time of the service just sitting there twiddling your thumbs. Some of you have been married so long that you figure tinkering with my relationship now is only going to mess it up, so why bother with the stuff that Doc has been talking about? For some of you, your children are already grown and, and out of the house and, and raising their own family, and you're thinking, what good did that one about parents and kids do me? For some of you, you're left alone because a spouse is gone. And for some of you, you aren't even thinking about marriage at this stage of your life. And the thought of having kids is about as scary as having to watch a replay of that Kentucky versus Duke game from just a week or so ago. Well, today, hopefully I have good news for all of you. For you see, the subject that Paul is going to talk to us about today is one that all of us can relate to in some form or fashion. How many of you like playing that, that word association game where I give you a word and then you say the first thing that comes to your mind? You like that? Jess says no. Well, we're going to play it anyway, Jess. <laughs> so if I were to say dog, you think? Cat. Yeah. Yeah. Peanut butter? Chocolate. Her chocolate, her jelly. Bacon? Dog. That's what a lot of people think, Doc. And he's not even here to hear, hear about it. Maybe he's watching us on Facebook this morning. I don't know. Well, here's the words that I want us to, to focus on for just a few moments, okay? So how would you respond to work? Hmm. School, your boss, <laughs> I heard I don't like him, I think I just heard over there, teachers, employees, How about slave, master, now some of you are sitting here thinking, I thought he just said this was going to be applicable to me today. I realize that some of you are retired. Some of you are stay-at-home parents or maybe a stay-at-home spouse. Some of you are self-employed. And some of you, well, you just are hanging out because you ain't got a clue what you're doing right now. But I do believe the verses that we're going to look at today in Colossians 3 have something for all of us. Not just those who are working 9 to 5. And I believe these words provide some great instruction about the attitude that we should have in life and how we should, should approach every task that we are given or that we choose to take on. So I encourage you, if you've got your Bible with you, maybe you've got a, an app on your phone that you like to use, that you open that and find the book of Colossians. It's about midway through the New Testament. And as I mentioned a moment ago, written by a guy named Paul, 
who became one of the greatest followers of Jesus Christ. We'll also have the the scripture here on the screen with us this morning. And Paul begins this passage this way. He says, slaves in all things obey those who are your masters on earth. Now, Paul lived in a day different than what we live in today. In the time that he is writing, one could be a slave for many reasons. Maybe you were born to parents who were slaves. Maybe you were an unwanted child who was taken in as a slave. Maybe you were sold by parents because they needed funds to take care of themselves. Maybe you were a slave because you had borrowed money from someone and couldn't pay them back and so you became their servant. Maybe you were a slave because you had committed a crime and and the penalty that you had to pay was being a slave to that person that you stole something from. And I know it's crazy to think about, but sometimes people would sell themselves because they knew they would have a higher standard of living as a slave than if they tried to keep struggling to find housing or food for themselves or their family. Now, please understand, when we look at this passage of Scripture, Paul is not condoning slavery. It's important to note, though, that Jesus didn't call the leaders of the early church to be social reformers. Instead, they were called to simply share the good news of salvation that could be found only in Jesus Christ. And that it was available to every person, regardless regardless of what status society had placed on them or what situation they found themselves in, either by their own doing or because of what they were born into. Earlier in this chapter, we looked at a few weeks ago, Paul told the members of the church that he was writing to that here, speaking of that church in Colossae, that here there is neither, there's no distinction between slaves and free people. There was no difference in the church or in Christ, he was saying, between those who were slaves and those who were free. In his book called Galatians that he wrote to another church, he wrote these words, there is neither slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So so again, Paul is not condoning slavery, but he does address the fact of slavery and seeks to hopefully develop a a new relationship, a better relationship between the slave and their master who he's writing to at this time. Now again, some of you may be sitting there scratching your head saying, "I, I thought you said these verses were going to apply to me today, John. Well, hopefully each of us can learn from some of the principles that Paul is going to give to slaves and to their owners that will impact us as employees, as employers, as students, as teachers, as parents, as coaches, and as teammates. So here we go. Principle number one, do your work. Now Paul says it a little bit differently than that, but he starts out this text with slaves obey your earthly masters in everything. Now my guess is that the slaves who heard those words were probably not very happy I mean, just like many unhappy people today, whether it's employees or students or kids in general, we wouldn't want to hear those words today. Paul probably had some readers who who were hoping that that he was going to give them permission to to ignore the instruction of their masters or or to fight back in rebellion against what they were being told or, or being made to do. Some of his readers may have even been hoping that Paul was was going to tell the masters or or the owners that the Christian thing would do would be to set all of those slaves free and just, just let them go. But that's not what they got. What they get was a very simple command. Obey. Obey. Do what you're told. And in what areas? Not just when it's something you like. Not just when it's something that you want to do. And not just when it's something that you're going to get a little extra for. Do it in everything. 
And I believe there's good reason for this counsel. For us today, I think our work ethic, be it in the workplace, be it at home, be it at school, be it on the ball field, speaks volumes about the nature of our commitment to God. Paul says that we should do what is right and be faithful in whatever circumstance that we find ourselves in. But, 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 but you don't know my situation, John. You don't know what it's like at my work. You don't know what it's like in my classroom with that teacher or with my coach. You may be right. I don't know. But it doesn't mean that you shouldn't continue to do what is right. Just because they're being a jerk or making life difficult. Even though our situation may not be ideal, we have a responsibility before God to do what we have been called to do or what we have agreed to do. Most people, when they are hired or when they are joined a team, are told what is expected of them. If you take that job, or you agree to be a part of that team, then do what you agreed to do, Paul says. Do your work. And why? Check out these verses that Paul shared with two of his very good friends. First was to a young man named Timothy, who Paul sort of tutored, sort of, sort of helped to disciple. He wrote, all who are under the yoke of slavery should consider their masters worthy of full respect, so that God's name and our teaching may not be slandered. Those who have believing masters, he says, are not to show less respect for them because they are brothers. Instead, they are to serve them even better because those who benefit from their service are believers and dear to them. And then he writes to his good friend Titus these words, teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything. Try to please them, not to talk back to them, not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted. So that in every way, and here is why it is so important, folks. So that in every way, they will make the teaching about God, our Savior, attractive. You see, there's more to it than just a 9 to 5 job. There's more to it than just showing up in class at 8.30 and staying till 3 o'clock or whatever time it is. There, there's more to it than just loading 16 tons. There's more to it than just showing up and going through the motions. As followers of Christ, we have the opportunity to make a positive influence and make our God and our Savior attractive and appealing by doing our work. So whatever it is that you're asked to do, Paul says, do it. Do your work. Obey. Unless, of course, the person over you is asking you to do something that is morally wrong or breaks the law. Principle number two Paul gives us. Do your work wholeheartedly. He's already told us and told his listeners to obey them in everything. And then he adds, and do it. Not only when their eye is on you and to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Paul urges, well, you know, matter of fact, Paul maybe even commands the readers of this letter to obey even when their master's eyes are not on them. As is often the case, sometimes people only work hard when the boss is around. Have you found that to be true? I heard, a, I heard of a suggestion box that was installed at a factory for the employees to be able to contribute ideas that they, that they hoped would, would improve working conditions. One of the first suggestions requested that the foreman no longer wear rubber-soled shoes so the employers could hear him on the line as he was making his way through the factory. The great theologian Groucho Marx once said, no man leaves before his time unless, of course, the boss leaves early. I heard another comment sometime back that said the number of unemployed people 
is considerably less than the number of those who are actually working. Do you see how different Paul's words are from the mentality of the world in which we live? Chuck Colson in his book, Why America Doesn't Work, shares the following story. He tells of a guy named James Sheehy who was an executive with a computer firm. He said he wanted to see firsthand how this, this mindset was affecting the workplace. He said he wanted a better understanding of the expectations and the psyche of younger employees, so he spent his two-week vacation working in a fast food restaurant. Most of his co-workers, he wrote, were from upper-income families who did not need to work but wanted some extra spending money. She, he watched and listened as his co-workers displayed poor work habits and contempt for customers. His conclusion, we have a new generation of workers whose habits and experiences will plague future employers for years. Along with their get-away-with-what-you-can attitude and indifference to the quality of their performance, their basic work ethic was dominated by a type of gamesmanship that revolved around taking out of the system or milking the place dry. Theft, skimming, and baiting management were rampant and skill levels surprisingly low, he wrote. The workers saw long hours and hard work as counterproductive. You only put in time for the big score, one said. Unfortunately, there's a sense today in which people get a job feeling that they are doing their employers a favor by working there. But this is not the attitude that a follower of Christ should have. As Christians, we do the job not because we have to, but because we see this job as an opportunity to demonstrate our love and our faithfulness before the Lord. And so we will do it with everything that we have within us. Paul says, don't look for the shortest way or the easiest way. Look for the right way to do the job that you've committed yourself to do. And please note that this attitude doesn't just apply to our jobs. In verse 23, Paul says, whatever you do. You see, this makes it applicable to all of us, folks, whether we work or not. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for man. That's a game changer right there, isn't it? For you see, this is not just about our jobs. It's about our attitude toward all of life. Everything we do is a statement and a reflection of and about our relationship with Jesus Christ. It's important that we constantly battle that desire to cut corners, to work hard only when the boss is looking or, or when we're up for a race. And we need to start practicing this in the everyday task of our lives as well. In his book, Practicing the Presence of God, Brother Lawrence, who was a 17th century monk, talked about how he sought to honor God while washing the dishes. He understood that we will not serve well in the big areas of life if we do not serve well in the everyday areas of our lives. Let me show you what I mean from my own life. These are the kind of situations that, that, that I find this battle for excellence to be profound. I mean, should I, should I rewrite this message one more time or was that first draft good enough and it'll, it'll be okay? You know, I don't preach that often anyway, so people will be okay with it. Should I fold the clothes in the laundry basket or just wait for Ashley to get home and, or one of the girls to show up and do it? Should I empty the dishwasher and reload it or just wait for someone else and watch the dishes pile up higher and higher in the sink? Should I empty the garbage or just keep adding to the pile to see how high we can get before it all falls off into the floor? Should I replace that empty toilet paper roll or just leave it there? Should I plan more for my soccer practices or just let them scrimmage and say, ah, oh, you guys just need to work on some full field scrimmaging? 
Should I only do those exercise reps when my coaches, Dale and Taylor, are watching? What might be the questions that you guys need to ask yourselves? Should I call in or just arrive late because no one's going to say anything? Should I study to get an A or ah, just do what I can and settle for passing? I mean, after all, the word degree does start with the letter D. That works. Don't try that, kids. <laughs> should I accept responsibility for my mistakes or, or should I seek to divert the blame to someone else? Should I use the best materials or the lesser quality materials and make maybe a little more profit? Should I notate that I spent 10 extra minutes on my break or not even worry about it and just cut out at the regular time? You see what I'm driving at this morning? We honor the Lord when we do a job well. And if we're in the habit of being lazy in the everyday things of our lives, it will carry over into the bigger areas of our life as well. One of my favorite awards that is given out at our soccer banquet every year is the 110% award. This award is given out to the player who, who gives their all at every practice and every game. You know you're going to get everything they've got every time they step out on the field. And there are many on my team who think they probably deserve that award. But they don't realize I really do have eyes in the back of my head. And I see that they're not giving their all 110% of the time. But it's hard to give 110% all the time, isn't it? But as followers of Christ, it's important that we realize someone is always watching. Not because he wants to get us in trouble but because He wants us to have a positive influence for His cause in everything we do every day. Principle number three that He gives to the slaves and to us. Work leads to a reward. Paul writes, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord. This would have been a radical statement to the slaves who heard Paul say this or who were the first to read it. Slaves had no rights in this day and time. Slaves could not own anything. And more than likely, slaves received no inheritance throughout their lives. But Paul gave them great hope and motivation to do their very best as slaves. Not because they were going to get some kind of a reward in this life, but because they were going to receive something in eternity because they had lived a life for Christ and had served Him diligently while on this earth. Their faithfulness may not have been recognized while here, but their Heavenly Father would recognize them and reward them for it. And the same is true for us. Our faithfulness may not be noticed by others, but it is noticed by the one who matters the most. There may be no one who appreciates you for all the, for all the little things that you do, but our Heavenly Father appreciates your faithfulness to Him and how we live our lives, even when we're faced with adversity. We may get no earthly benefit for our extra effort. But God will reward our faithfulness with an inheritance that is beyond our imagination. In Paul's day, it's, it's told that Christian slaves could be sold for double the price of a regular slave in the marketplace. You know why that is? Because they had the right attitude. They worked hard. They were honest. And they gave their all. And we need this to be true of Christians in our society today, folks. At work, at school, on our teams, in our clubs, in our civic organizations, we need people who work hard, 
who have tremendous integrity, no matter whom they are working for or how unjust the situation is. And not because we're going to be rewarded today or tomorrow or maybe even in this life, but because of what awaits us in our eternal home. You know, like every relationship that we have looked at the past few weeks, there's always another side of instruction. We saw husbands and wives. We saw parents and kids. And today we've got slaves and then their masters. So what does Paul have to say to, to masters, to the employers, to the bosses, to the teachers, to, to the coaches? There's two important principles I want us to see. Principle number one, do what is right and what is fair. Look at Colossians chapter 4 verse 1. Paul says, masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair. Paul's teachings, again, were radical in the early churches. Not only did he say some crazy things that caused the slaves to scratch their heads, I'm sure these words that he is now speaking to their owners, to their masters, to their leaders, caused some consternation as well. William Barclay had this to say about slavery during this period of time. He said, the slave was a thing in the eyes of the law. There was no such code of working conditions. When slaves were too old to work, they could be thrown out to die. Slaves didn't have the right to marry. And if they cohabitated and a child was born, the children belonged to the master, just as the lambs of the flock belonged to the shepherd. Once again, he wrote, all the rights belonged to the masters and all the duties to the slaves. And because the slaves had no rights in that culture, it often led to their abuse. But Paul calls on the masters of that day who were hearing him to be different. Because of who they were in Christ. Paul wanted them to do what was right and what was moral in their treatment of their slaves. Again, this was radical in a society where many masters commonly mistreated their slaves. To treat them right and fair would have possibly caused a division or discord amongst the slave owners. It may have actually been more difficult to be a godly slave owner than it was to be a godly slave. But understanding this passage in relation to our roles as Christians in place of leadership today is important. For we, and by that I mean business owners and bosses and coaches and teachers or, or whatever role it is that puts you in where you are over top of someone, it is important for us to understand that we represent Jesus Christ as well. I mean, what kind of an impact does a leader have who is trying to get by with doing as little as possible? Who doesn't lead by example? Who pushes those under their care to unreasonable levels? Who, who denies those they oversee of benefits that they should be provided? Or who is abusive to those who work for you with your language and your treatment of them? Now, I realize that we can only do what we are able to do. But what we are able to do as leaders, we should do. For the Christian, the bottom line should not be about our profit margin. But it is about whether or not we are good stewards of what God has entrusted to us. For those of us who serve in leadership roles, God has entrusted these people who are under us to us. Do you realize that? They are a precious commodity that God has placed in our hands to oversee and to protect and to grow and to encourage and to disciple. And God expects us to be faithful with what He has entrusted to us just as He has been faithful to us. Each of us have the opportunity to show that we are a follower of Christ by the way we treat those who work for us. And then principle number two that Paul shares with the employers, with the leaders, with the bosses. Remember whose you are. Paul closes out this verse by adding, Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair because you know that you also have a master in heaven. 
That's pretty big, isn't it? It's important for those of us in leadership positions who call ourselves followers of Christ to remember that we are working for Jesus Christ and not ourselves. He calls the shots, not you and not me. Your business, your team, your classroom, your organization, this church is His business and we are only charged with managing the assets and His interest appropriately. And we must remember that we will be held accountable for how we run our business. We have someone who is watching and we are not free to do whatever we want. You know, in every one of the scenarios that we have looked at the past few weeks there out of Colossians, husbands, wives, parents, kids, and now slaves and masters, there has been one common theme. And the principle is as simple as it is profound. The greatest blessing is found in giving, not in taking. That mentality sounds foolish to the world in which we live. They tell us that it's crazy, that, that we're crazy to live like this. They, they tell us that we're going to be taken advantage of by others. And you know what? We might. But what they don't see is that it is only in giving that we discover true love and true contentment. It is only in giving where we find true, deep, and eternal satisfaction. There's a satisfaction that comes from a job well done that goes way beyond a paycheck, folk. There's a joy that comes from, from having given to one another, from, from doing what is right. It goes beyond immediate gratification. And there's a sense of well-being and blessing that cannot come from this world at all. It is a well-being that comes from feeling the smile of our Heavenly Father. God's ways are not the ways of men. God's ways are not easy, nor do they come natural. But then again, God's blessings are not superficial, superficial, or temporary either. In his book, Just Like Jesus, Max Licato writes in the first chapter that's entitled A Heart Like His, these words that I've taken some liberty to adapt. But he starts off the chapter with these words. What if for one day Jesus were to become you? What if for 24 hours Jesus wakes up in your bed, walks in your shoes, lives in your house, assumes your schedule. Your spouse becomes his spouse. Your children become his children. Your mom and dad become his mom and dad. Your boss becomes his boss. Your employee becomes his employee. Your students become his students. And your team becomes his team. What if, for one day and one night, Jesus lives your life with His heart? Your heart gets the day off, and your life is led by the heart of Christ. His priorities govern your actions. His passions drive your passions. His love directs your behavior. What would you be like? Would people notice a change? Your spouse, would they see something new? Your kids, would they sense a difference? Your parents, would they recognize you? Those under you, would they see a change? Those who you work for, would they notice a change in your attitude? Those who you lead, would they detect more joy? What would you be like? Would they, those above you, those under you, or those beside you, would they receive more mercy from Christ's heart than from yours? Would they experience more grace and more forgiveness in that one 24-hour day than they had experienced with you in one month or one year or however long a period of time that you have known them? 
God wants you to be like Jesus. He wants you to have a heart like His. And He loves you just the way you are. But He refuses to leave you there. He wants you to be just like Jesus. Tomorrow, Jesus is going to your workplace. Tomorrow, Jesus is going to your school. Tomorrow, He's going to your meetings. Tomorrow, He's going to be in your home. He's going in your body. If you have invited Him in, then He's going with you in you. Will anyone notice that you brought Jesus with you? What will those you interact with see tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next? What if for one day and one night Jesus lived your life with his heart? I don't know where you are in your relationship with Jesus Christ this morning. Maybe you've never come to know him as Lord and Savior of your life. And if that's the case, we'd love to talk with you about that share with you what that means to live a life that that follows his example Uh, I'll be down front I see Vern sitting over here we'd love to talk with you about that maybe this morning God's laid something else on your heart maybe you realize you know what I haven't been the kind of follower of Christ that I need to be at home with my spouse at home with my kids in my place of work with my boss or with my employees or maybe even with my co-workers we'd love to talk with you about that maybe just pray with you that God can bring some clarity and bring some healing to your heart song Steve and the team's going to lead us through is more like Jesus. Is that your desire? Is that your goal? That's what he wants for you, but you got to be willing to do it as well, to be more like him. Let's stand together and sing.